Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the easiest way to create a beautiful website, blog, or online store for you and your ideas. Squarespace features an elegant interface, beautiful templates, and incredible 24-7 customer support. Try Squarespace at squarespace.com and enter the offer code CANADALAND at checkout to get 10% off. A masked man has been shot and killed by Mounties in Dawson Creek near a meeting about the Sightsee Dam. But as CTV's Peter Granger reports, it looks like the shooting had nothing to do with the controversial project. It's the fifth police shooting in the province since April. The cops just shot this guy. It was initially believed the confrontation may have been connected to an open house at the hotel for the Sightsee Dam project. But CTV has learned this is not the case. Another witness tells us the victim was involved in a domestic dispute and left the restaurant with knife in hand, only to be met by police who had already been called. The man was taken to hospital, but later died of his injuries. Okay, just about every fact you heard reported there by CTV is currently in dispute. That the masked guy who the RCMP shot on July 16th, James McIntyre, that that guy had nothing to do with the anti-dam protest that was happening at that location at that time, that he was involved in a domestic dispute instead, that he was even the person who the Mounties had been called about in the first place, that he had a knife. All of those things that you just heard have since been challenged. And what you didn't hear 
in that CTV News report, what was left out, is kind of an important detail. What kind of mask was James McIntyre wearing when he was shot dead by the cops? Well, it was a Guy Fox mask. So now, Anonymous is involved. We are now privy to many of Stephen Harper's most cherished secrets. We repeat our insistence upon the immediate arrest of the RCMP killers of James McIntyre. Unless and until that happens, we will be releasing stunning secrets at irregular intervals. Enjoy the summer, everyone. Fall will be wild. So that is one hell of a wild card to mix into the deck. And when Anonymous threatens, this is not about a DDoS attack. It's not just about a DDoS attack. A a sort of a cyber attack that knocks down a government website for a few hours, creating a minor nuisance and often major headlines. No, we're way past that. This has become about the leaking of secret government documents. Officially, the Canadian intelligence outfit CSIS has only acknowledged that three foreign stations, as they call them, exist. Only three. But according to the secret Treasury Board document dated 2010 that Anonymous leaked to the press last week, there are actually 25 CSIS foreign stations, many of which are located in, quote, developing countries and or unstable environments. That is a pretty big revelation when it comes to outing secrets of Canadian intelligence. And after that came a promise from Anonymous that they have unencrypted and plan to leak messages that reveal the, quote, real reason that John Baird quit the Harper cabinet. Anonymous casually mentioned that they have documents proving that Canada spied on America, leading to Obama killing Keystone. If there's any documentation to back that up, we're waiting on that as well. This whole drama that began with the shooting of James McIntyre, it is just warming up. So what better time to try to figure out what the hell this is all about by speaking to the woman who has written the book on Anonymous. McGill anthropologist Gabriella Coleman, she studies Anonymous the way that Jane Goodall studied chimpanzees, by living among them. For years, Biela Coleman is the author of Hacker, Hoaxer, Whistleblower, Spy, The Many Faces of Anonymous. And before I spoke to her, before this conversation that you're about to hear, I had no idea that she actually plays a role in this current drama. So wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Susan Bond, Josh Kanner, Jeff Burrow, Terry Harker, Brian Webb, Paul Craig, Tommy Lloyd, Julie Robertson, and Tony Nickenchuk. Tony, why did you decide to be awesome? Because over the last four years, and the last year particularly, it's been abundantly clear that there's a problem with Canadian media. This episode is brought to you by the Centre for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible, heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is also brought to you by Squarespace, which is just a very straightforward and easy and elegant way of making a website. If a website is something you need, you should check out Squarespace because they have 24-7 support via live chat and email. It costs eight bucks a month. You get a free domain if you buy Squarespace for the year. Comes with an e-commerce setup. Every website comes with a free online store. Squarespace features responsive design. Your website scales to look good on any device, any phone, any tablet, any laptop or desktop. And Squarespace has just sort of radically simplified the process of making your website. You can just do like a beautiful cover page. You can just do that in minutes. You can choose from an existing cover page template and just create a beautiful one-page online presence. Start a trial. You don't need a credit card. You can begin building your website immediately. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, just use the offer code CanadaLand, and you'll get 10% off your first purchase, and you will be showing your support for CanadaLand. Squarespace, build it beautiful. I want to speak with you mostly about Anonymous, but I, I think we have to start with the shooting itself. Could we try to kind of piece together what we know so far about what happened? Well, um, you know, what's interesting about the case uh, of the shooting is that what we do know is that there was, you know, a young man wearing anonymous mask who was supposedly uh, wielding a knife in Dawson Creek. Then he was shot, right, by the police. What's interesting about this young man is was he anonymous or not? Right. Insofar as one can just take the mask and the icon because it's a general icon for for protest and dissent. Um, and this was kind of protest uh, situation. And so perhaps, you know, this person was just using the mask uh, to cover their face. But anonymous claimed him as one of their own. Right. And even went so far then to identify a Twitter account that did follow Anonymous, right? And if that is indeed the person that was shot, then it is kind of credible that it wasn't simply a person who was just wearing the mask, but that was also supporting Anonymous. This sort of cuts to some of the fundamental questions about Anonymous because my understanding is that all you need to do is don the mask or, or even just call yourself anonymous or sign something anonymous and you are part of anonymous. That's right. I mean, anonymous is a name that, you know, anyone can take and so that there is kind of a tremendous flexibility around the name, right? So perhaps James McIntyre was one of these people who just took on the mask and identified with anonymous. And again, it seems like that might be the case. Now that said, that said, the people who 
are involved in kind of avenging his death, who are behind, you know, this current leak of documents related to CSIS, these individuals are kind of stable participants who work in teams, they get to know each other. And so there is quite a bit of kind of sociological stability to anonymous operations. You know, there's logics that you can tease out and it's not quite as kind of incoherent uh, and flexible as sometimes people think. There's a lot more stability. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, it's sort of like anyone can be anonymous, but some anonymous are more anonymous than others. Right. There's people who, you know, stick around for a long time and their whole sort of activism is kind of hooked to anonymous, their identities hooked into anonymous and they develop friendships. There's a lot of drama, right? It's just like any other political movement, uh, except that they're, you know, tend to be anonymous or pseudo-anonymous, right? But that said, you know, what's uh, amazing, and actually there was just a recent study done by a graduate student from Denmark uh, who kind of scraped a lot of Facebook data, and uh, there's all these regional nodes, you know, Albania and Philippines, <laughs> that like, you know, no one is kind of looking at and studying because people can just take the name. So there's an incredible breadth. Uh, but nevertheless, you know, the groups I'm most familiar with in North America and Europe tend to be pretty stable teams, pretty stable cast of characters that work together. Okay, and returning to returning to McIntyre himself, we know that, that the guy who was shot, that, that McIntyre was wearing a mask. The early reports from CTV, I mean, you said earlier, well, this was affiliated with this um, protest against this dam in British Columbia. In fact, the original CTV news reports negated that. They said, well, you know, it was thought that maybe it was related, but we've since learned, I think CTV said that this is a, about a domestic disturbance. And then news reports after that said, no, 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 this guy was there protesting this dam. And that seems to be where the narrative has settled for the moment. And yet there's confusion about whether the person the cops were called for is the same person they shot. There's dispute over whether in fact he was armed. There's a witness who says he was armed, but of course online, a lot of the chatter is that this was a planted knife. Do, do we have any further insight into these circumstances? I think you just put it well, that we don't, and that there's tremendous confusion about the very kind of context situation and then train of events that led to the shooting. And in many ways, you know, what Anonymous is calling for is more clarity about what exactly happened, that we need an investigation and one from an independent party precisely because there's so many open questions as to what happened and, you know, why someone was shot, which is so, you know, if this had been the United States, Dawson Creek, USA, everyone would have been like, oh, okay, you know, another police shooting. Uh, But, you know, it doesn't happen really as often in Canada. So it is a bit of a kind of remarkable situation. And yet, weeks later, we still don't have much clarity as to what really went down. We don't. And, you know, I'm, I'm hesitant to jump to any kind of, like, conclusions or counter-conclusions. Some of it is it, – it's triggering certain skepticism in me. You know, when you hear about, oh, well, you know, the, the, the cop shot a guy, but there, then there's a knife. And, and then you hear, like, oh, uh, this confusion about domestic disturbances. Some of it – like, I don't know if it's a news sense thing or a skepticism or, or you know, I don't want to rule anything out. I, I can't help but wonder if there isn't some counter narrative being 
created there to justify a shooting. I, and I, I don't want to fuel any kind of speculation. We just don't have the information. I guess I'll bring all this up just to say I can see why this has gained traction online as a cause. And everything is up for grabs as to the accuracy of anything. But I'm looking at this JMAC9 Twitter account, and it does seem to be the account of a, a person who is allied with certain uh, progressive slash radical causes, who is retweeting calls to the protests. So you could see how Anonymous would definitely claim this person as their own beyond just the donning of the mask itself, which we know for a fact. That's right. And, you know, whenever there is a kind of situation of corruption or killing where there are many unknowns, in some ways, that's the perfect situation for Anonymous to rise and say, well, we want to know what happened. And so it makes a lot of sense that they appeared in this situation, especially especially because James McIntyre, who actually is not so young, I don't know why I referred to him as a young man earlier, was wearing the mask. How old is James McIntyre? I just uh, looked it up. He's 48. Uh-huh. All right. Well, we're talking now because this sort of went beyond, there's there sort of a, a turn in the story, and this has gone beyond the usual retaliation, which would be what we saw this past weekend, uh, DDoS attack, that RCMP's sites went down, which, you know, gets a lot of attention, but is it such a big deal? I mean, that's it's sort of the reflexive response that happens when Anonymous is upset about something. Absolutely. You know, uh, DDoS tends to be very symbolic in nature, and it's something, you know, one should really expect. Uh, sometimes there's more interesting one, actually, when they hit hit the Canadian government websites over C51, they did target an email server, and that was just interesting because that was about actual disruption. Uh, but with this case, it was just kind of run-of-the-mill DDoSing, and then, yeah, absolutely, they then kind of declared that they had this document uh, that they were going to release. Well, before that even happened, I, I was listening to an interview you gave to regional radio in BC, and you know you were expecting. I mean, you were very careful to say this is anonymous, so all bets are off. It could be anything. But the next thing that one would expect from anonymous in a case like this would be uh, doxing that they would start to release personal information of the RCMP officer behind the shooting, the, the officers or officers thought to be behind the shooting. That they would, you know, here's where they live, here's their name. Let's make their lives difficult, everybody. That's sort of what the playbook would suggest would come next, but what happened was a complete shocker. Right. I mean, um, you know, there have been enough cases of police shooting where, you know, the next response is doxing. And so that is uh, something to be expected. And I still think it's a possibility, you know, insofar as if they can actually find the name, I think that someone would do it, right? And maybe they're just not able to do it. Whereas, in this case, they had the document before the shooting, actually. Yeah. I mean, you, I guess just waiting for an excuse. I, I like the, the point you make is very acute. If they had the, the uh, identity, they would have. What's the anonymous motto? All of us is worse than what, what is it? Oh, what is it? I should know this. It, well, we're all of us are more cruel than one of us. Yeah. Yeah. Like if, if, if it can be done, it will be done. Like if somebody had it, it would have come up. Exactly. Exactly. And so one can't discount that. And it's anonymous because none of us are as cruel as all of us. Right. And then they the video comes out promising much more serious release of, of sensitive data. And then it looks like they did it. I mean, I don't know how much room there is for us to you know, couch this, well, we don't know for sure that it's an official document. It looks like they hacked CSIS and have 
released an official document at this point. I mean, I mean, I know we don't have absolute verification, but it's looking pretty conclusive, isn't it? It is. And, you know, I have been kind of told in very general terms about a document that they got a while ago. Um, they were very excited about it, and I didn't push for details uh, because, you know, I just felt like they should release it when they're ready to release it, and they were going to work through journalistic channels, and that's pre- precisely what they did. I really don't have an idea of how they got it. I think that there's many possibilities. Uh, they could have, someone could have hacked. Uh, it could have been leaked to them, right? Yeah. You know, one of the interesting things is that Anonymous has changed quite a bit in the last couple of years, in part because of the harsh sort of arrests and crackdowns. And what has happened is that there's been less activity, but much more carefully executed activity. And I think this is a reflection of that. Let's talk about that a bit. I mean, there's a couple of things I want to ask you about there. You, you know, you talk about how you had been made aware of this. We should give people a little bit of context to how you work as an anthropologist. You are sort of an active conversationalist on anonymous IRC channels? Like, how, how are you communicating with people and how do you know who they are? And, and t- tell us a bit about how you get your information. Sure. I'm an anthropologist and I've been studying anonymous, you know, off and on since 2008 and very intensely since 2011. And, um, you know, they coordinate on internet relay chat and they also use uh, Jabber and off the record. So it's a chatting protocol and an encryption protocol for secure communications. And currently, I'm not super active on the chat channels um, as I once was, but I still have a lot of contacts on Jabber and OTR. And um, there's you know, a host of people who I don't know, you know who they are in, in real life, right? But nevertheless, I've chatted with for many years and they let me know what's going on. Usually they are very careful in terms of not, you know, revealing anything that would kind of out them or put them in any danger. And I've definitely worked with them to coordinate stuff with journalists as well. So I'm a liaison in many ways. And I've done that, you know, in this case and other cases as well, because, you know, in in some of these situations, it's, you know, could be an interesting and worthy leak. And I think it's important for them to work with uh, journalists uh, at established, you know, papers or independent journalists, and I can just help coordinate that. This is an interesting thing. I mean, you know, it's it's something that a journalist would avoid that level of cooperation with a source. As an academic, I don't know what the ethical issues are. I mean, I, I know that you are unique in that a lot of people who have, you know, done journalistic reports on Anonymous or tried to do, do academic work on them are sort of like ridiculed and laughed at uh, or are even openly targeted by people in Anonymous. It seems like you have at least uh, a, a relationship of mutual respect. Is that accurate? I mean, I, I think so. Not everyone in Anonymous, you know, adores me or loves me, but I've, I've worked with a lot of people and I've spent a lot of time writing about them and, you know, in ways that definitely tend towards the positive, but um, call out, you know, some of their kind of more uh, dicey, problematic actions like, you know, doxing individuals who have nothing to do with... Um, uh, an operation and so on and so forth. And actually, I think I gain respect from that in a lot of ways. But it's it's the kind of long-term anthropological relationship that really builds that kind of trust in a lot of ways. And what is interesting, though, is, you know, Anonymous 
can be very kind of harsh against the media at times, but they also really like working with journalists and have done so quite a bit uh, in many instances. In some ways, you know, it's difficult because while journalists work with anonymous sources, they often know who the anonymous source is. It's just that they're portrayed anonymously, whereas these sources are like doubly anonymous, right? Right. And that presents some, some difficulty, but you know, if anonymous is always just releasing incorrect information, they're going to lose public sympathy, and they, they do need that to some degree. And to tie that back to this case, you know, the idea that this secret CSIS document could possibly be fraudulent, a forgery. Is there any record of them releasing documents in the past that turned out to be fakes? Full-on documents, not that I know of. The one thing that they did do, which was a hoax, was uh, they had uh, infiltrated Stratford, an intelligence company in Austin, Texas. They had taken out the emails, which were posted by WikiLeaks. Um, Jeremy Hammond then proceeded to kind of delete all the data. That seems all true. They did release a statement that George Friedman, the CEO, was resigning because of all the damage to their customers, and that was a total hoax. So they will prank like that. Yeah. But as far as I know, the documents that they have gotten from their hacks, whether it's H.B. Gary or, um, in this case, they do seem legitimate, right? Of course, they have to be verified. That's really, really important. But that would be a a big risk for Anonymous to take on because... While it's hard to, to kind of ruin their reputation, they can be discredited. Yeah, and it has the ring of truth at this point, and I, I have to feel like if it could have been denied or disproven, it would have been by now. We'll see how things progress. I mean, the document is a meaningful disclosure. It is uh, unveiling the existence of a couple of dozen CSIS offices around the world that we didn't we didn't have confirmed that they existed prior to this. Absolutely. And one of the interesting things is, you know, according to kind of experts on Canadian intelligence like Ron Debert, we know less about the Canadian intelligence system than the American one, right? And so in the context of that kind of lack of knowledge, something like this is, I think, really important and really interesting. And you know, not the sort of information that I think is going to be a threat against the Canadian government, right? What we know so far, but nevertheless gives us insight into what is considered to be one of the most secretive kind of intelligence apparatuses in the Western world. It's meaningful in a few different ways. I mean, Alex Boudelier at the Toronto Star just uh, got some A-tips in. He had a cover story on the Toronto Star recently where he learned how CSEC has been tightening the screws against the possibility of a Canadian Snowden, that they they were very, uh, they've been on high alert to make sure there are no internal leaks. I mean, we don't see this kind of stuff. Most of what we know about Canadian intelligence comes from the Snowden files. So for CSIS secret documents to get disclosed, it's a pretty big deal. And the promise from Anonymous is that this is just the beginning. Have you heard the chatter? Do you know what they have? I mean, they made claims that uh, in their video that they've yet to back up, including that CSEC was spying on Obama and that uh, Obama killed Keystone in retaliation. I mean, that's okay. Uh, if, if, if that's so, I'd like to know how they know that. Do you get the sense that they have the goods to prove that or other kind of revelations? I mean, in this case, I think that they'd be very foolish if they don't have the goods uh, because this is going to garner a lot of attention. And so all of a sudden, all these eyes are on anonymous. They've already given this important leak. And so if they can't follow through, it, I think, is a hoax that will kind of affect their reputation. And I don't think that they want that. It's so funny to hear you say that. I mean, I paid closer attention to Anonymous when I was 
when I was hosting Search Engine, which is how uh, where you and I first spoke, and I've sort of lost touch with them and what they've been up to for the most part in the last couple of years. The idea that they would care about their reputation or their credibility is in conflict with how I remember them. I mean, I think that maybe Anonymous has changed since they were much more affiliated with really ghastly pranks and bad taste uh, hoaxes and and, uh, pornography and, and, you know, a lot of uh, stuff that I think is a a lot more like vandalism than actually – being, uh, I guess, a radical journalistic vigilante force. I mean, that was always at play, but it, it feels like Anonymous has sort of gotten a bit more serious. Absolutely. And I mean, two things. I mean, they definitely, you know, don't mind pushing the moral envelope and, and political one. They will still do that. But I still do think that many of the groups that are most active, the, the ones I'm also most familiar with, like, do actually really care about political issues, right? And they are trying to engage, like, let's say in this case, whistleblowing, and then also trying to force uh, authorities in Dawson Creek to really accelerate the process of the investigation to see what happened with the shooting. And I think they earnestly care about these, right? And again, they're, use, they're willing to use pretty radical methods to do it. But if they're just then launching lies as a method to achieve their goals, I think that they know that that will hurt their, their kind of operations and causes, and that's what's distinct. The other thing, too, I mean, just to give a little bit of context, I think, you know, there was this first moment where Anonymous, for pure revenge, hacked into H.B. Gary because one of its um, employees was going to take the names of Anonymous operatives to the FBI, and they found some pretty damning information, including the fact that H.B. Gary was proposing to discredit, you know, Glenn Greenwald and WikiLeaks for you know, its customers as a proposal. Well, that set the stage for Anonymous to kind of infiltrate kind of security companies, which they started to do. And then more recently, we saw with Phineas Fisher, a pseudo-anonymous hacker, has hacked into Gamma Group and the hacking team, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And to me, what we're seeing now is hackers under the name Anonymous and other hackers willing to do direct action whistleblowing. And that had a Canadian aspect as well because the the hacking team hack revealed that Canadian police forces were looking at this surveillance software and that the sales rep had been sent to, I think it was Alberta. Mm -hmm. Right. It was Alberta. Yeah. Um, So it it, it is a different tenor. And I I think, you know, one might question why revealing secret CSIS documents would have an effect on the RCMP. Uh, and yet I could I could easily see a situation where it would create an atmosphere of political pressure. It's an interesting parallel to, you know, the way these things tend to play out in the States when there's a police shooting is that uh, there are, you know, demonstrations on the streets, as we saw recently in the States. And, you know, the media might call them riots if there's, uh, you know, and it's always debated how much violence or looting is necessary for it to get characterized that way. But it does create political pressure for justice where it certainly has an effect where, you know, it, it's understood that they can't just – sweep something under the rug or whitewash something uh, that the cops, you know, to some degree that they, that's what's being asked for is that they'd be held accountable. And it's it's the same situation. They're trying to create a situation of pressure, arguably. I mean, maybe it's just sort of like a, wanting to see the, the, the world burn or having these documents and wanting to disclose them anyhow. I mean, this does dovetail, Biela, with um, the anonymous actions against C-51 because if you can get secret CSIS documents, then do we want C-51 to be, you know, it's all about information, you know, a higher level of information gathering and greater liberty of information sharing between government agencies. And so 
if this data, I mean, you know, Canadian government agencies do not have a wonderful record of data hygiene. If CSIS is vulnerable, then that, I think, opens up a whole new debate about C-51. Absolutely. And, you know, my feeling was that these documents were meant originally to be channeled towards that debate and obviously are, are going to feed into it. But I guess that they've learned, you know, hey, if we have all these documents, we can tactically link it to other events that we also want to publicize. It's like, you know, killing two birds with one stone, right? Yeah. I mean, I think, and it is a kind of odd innovation <laughs> that they've just come up with. And, you know, Anonymous is very experimental, right? They're like, do certain things, but then there's a new possibility and certain events which align and they're willing to experiment. And that's precisely what we're seeing here because, you know, they are kind of two separate issues, but nevertheless, at least you can bring attention to the police shooting as you drop this kind of bombshell document, right? I want to just circle back to something I was uh, I, I was asking you a little bit about earlier. I mean, this is all illegal activity on the part of the, the – there are individuals that, you know, may or may not be Canadian individuals who are doing this stuff and they're, they're breaking the law and you are partnering with them in their efforts to publicize what they're doing. How do you feel about that? What are the issues for you? How do you navigate this stuff? Right. Well, you know, in terms of how I help them, you know, the only thing I've done in terms of directly intervening is when they have some important information that is worthy for kind of public revelation. I just help coordinate them getting in contact with the right journalists. And to me, I think that it's really important and that's one of the reasons why I want them to publish or get in contact with journalists because it's the journalists like Adrian Humphrey who can make that decision, hey, is this important to release, right? I'm not like going, hey, let me help you put this on pastebin. And I don't want to see the document. I don't know what it's about. For me, it's important to have that journalist vet that. And that's just putting one person in contact with another person and then having the journalist make the decision, okay, this is the right thing to do. And in that capacity, I think, you know, what I'm doing is, you know, in the public interest and, and an important safeguard because I don't want to contribute to any of Anonymous's illegal activities that can be quite problematic. You are facing kind of danger from both sides. I have to imagine that you're, you're acutely aware that Anonymous is unpredictable and can be very vengeful. And, you know, there's all sorts of aspects of Anonymous. So even if you're okay with most of it, who knows if some breakaway sect is going to target you. And then the law, I mean, have you had any kind of sense that you're being watched by authorities? I mean, uh, currently not exactly. Um, I don't know what's going on and I have no sense of, you know, whether I'm being watched or not. You know, earlier in my research, I did kind of interact with Sabu Hector Montsegur, who was eventually revealed to be an informant. You sort of referred earlier, this was sort of, I guess, the end of phase one of Anonymous when, when a major Anon ended up being revealed to be an FBI informant and, and you know, people are in jail now. Right. So he met with me and I kind of just have to assume that the FBI asked him to meet with me. You know, I'm sure they were kind of keeping some tabs uh, to some degree. And, and given, you know, the fact that law enforcement is interested in anonymous and, you know, kind of understandably so to some degree as well. And given that I'm close to them by, you know, extension, yeah, I might be of interest as well. But I try to be incredibly careful. Like when they had told me that they had a document, they were really vague and I didn't ask them questions about it. I think that they have 
done some really important journalistic interventions. And so again, I'm happy to kind of facilitate connecting them with journalists. And then I kind of leave the equation in a lot of ways because it's important for me not to know what they have. And it's also important for me not to know who they are in all these elements, you know, to kind of protect them. The uh, further comment that Anonymous has given about the information that they still have and have threatened to keep trickling out if justice isn't done in the shooting um, by their standards, the suggestion has been that uh, they may wait till Labor Day. Do you feel like Anonymous is gearing up to play a role in the election? Are they sort of strategizing their information that way? I think that's very possible. You know, there is a very, very active uh, Canadian group. I'm not even sure if they're all Canadian, but, you know, they're very interested in what's going on in Canada, and there's some who are Canadian who may or may not be in Canada. While they use these direct action means, they are interested in policy issues or shifting debates or changing the kind of political, the more traditional political landscape of the country, right? And so I think that they would be absolutely willing to kind of intervene at that moment to influence the debate. And people within Anonymous tend to be pretty unhappy with Harper. Gabrielle Coleman, it is always fascinating to speak with you. Thank you. Oh, uh, my pleasure. It was great to connect again. That is your Canada Land episode. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me. I'm at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything you send. I respond when I can. I'm on Twitter at Jesse Brown. The show's website is canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is at patreon.com slash canadaland. I make this show with Katie Jensen. There'll be an episode of Canada Land Commons up on Tuesday, but there will not be a Canada Land Shortcuts this week. I'm going bi-weekly with Shortcuts for the rest of the summer just to get a little bit of time off in. Thanks for your patience with that, but I'll be back with another episode of Canada Land on Monday. If you like this show, please support it. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. 
but not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.